0: Hello and welcome to the World Resources Institute Big Ideas into Action podcast. And in this first episode of 2022, we talk to WRI's president about the stories to watch for the year ahead. What are they and how did our experts decide on the six biggest ones? You
1: know, let's look under the hood. What is the big picture here? And what are the details that we need to get right?
0: We'll also be looking at why we think these stories are so important and what they say about the world and environmental action.
1: People were thinking about commitments and what to do. Now we're thinking about how to do it. Who should be making decisions decision about resources?
0: Hello, I'm Nicholas Walton. And it's that time of year when, at the World Resources Institute, we present the stories that we think are worth watching in the year ahead. We'll be hosting a series of virtual live events where the stories will be presented. And you can find out more about those on our website, wi.org. But to find out the inside story behind the stories to watch... I spoke to WI's president and CEO, Annie Dasgupta. First question to him, what are the important features of the world in 2022 that have informed this year's stories to watch?
1: Think about the moment we're doing the stories, you know, in January of 2022, two months after the COP26 in Glasgow, the moment of change, you know, I think the world has really shifted from making commitments, which was in, actually, whatever people might think of with the incredible amount of commitments were made. To shifting that to outcomes. How do we convert these commitments to actual action on the ground so that there's confidence in the ground and we're moving towards 50% reduction of carbon by 2050. But how we get that done is is the question everyone's asking. And if you look at the stories we have chosen, each one of them, each one of them is about figuring out how this transition would work and I think where WRI can provide some it's not just the headlines. Each story looks under the hood of the headlines and say, okay, what are the issues we should be thinking about? How can we make choices that will get us to the right direction? And I feel the story, stories we chose are all about each one of them will require choices and none of them you can take a neutral position. And our hope is that we are providing the evidence and the steps that needs to be taken so people who listen to it can make their own own mind, but we hope they would be on the right side of the debate.
0: These really are live choices now. Uh, Here in Europe, we had the German elections a few months ago, and the choices connected to how Germany moves forward into a low carbon economy were the thing that dominated the whole election and are now dominating, apart from COVID of course, what the government's choices are. So so the way that the, the world has moved forward really is quite remarkable. It's no longer a world where people just sort of say, okay, here's our commitment. And of course we'll get there in some way. It's a question of, you know, are these commitments credible? How do people go about them? And I think that that lies behind all of the choices of the six stories to watch that you made. Um, What was the process like when you were involved as CEO, president of of WRI, with your first stories to watch?
1: I know, Nicholas, that's such a good question. You know, as you can imagine, you know, I thought my predecessor, Andrew, did the stories to watch fantastically. And he really enjoyed it. I think this was his high point of the year. So to be honest with you, when I first started it, uh, I, I approached with some Um, but as we went through the process, I must say, I really enjoyed it. I'll tell you why I enjoyed it. For two reasons. One, just the process, and, you know, WRI is a global organization with more than 1600 staff all over the world. Uh, this process of arriving at, you know, what stories, you know, there's so many stories out there. What stories, what six, five, six, seven stories? would make most sense this year to talk about we will be conveying the tone we want and that process of bringing the whole organization together and then each one of them there is story on call for example you know getting the right tone right and that was real debate among our staff and absolutely love or there's a story on justice the first time WRI is doing a story on justice I think I like the process of bringing our community together and actually sitting down and debating uh, how does one talk about these things in the right way and finally, Nicholas, you know in two thousand twenty two the nature of stories to us has changed, and that is to me is a very interesting you know this is the nineteenth year we're doing this nineteen so when you can imagine when we started in two thousand early two thousand. Our goal was to introduce, you know, concepts of climate change uh, to journalists. We started with maybe a dozen jo- journalists in the press room in Washington. That was the idea. You know, people are not talking enough about it. We should introduce ideas. Hopefully they'll write more articles about climate change. Today, it's different. Climate change is everyday issue. touches every one, every portion of economy. Our objective is not to introduce new topics. Our objective is you will hear about these topics, let us tell let us share with you what we know about it and what are the debates what are the you know opposing points and what how can you participate debate in the most productive way so i love the shift has taken place and i actually really enjoyed how we come together as a community to put these together
0: uh, you mentioned the, uh, the climate justice story. I mean, obviously, we're still, as a, as a world, as, as a humanity, we're, we're still in the grip of, of the COVID crisis. And that has exposed real inequalities all over the world and between countries, between communities, and so on. Um, is that one of the great drivers of climate justice now being such a big issue for, for you and for WRI?
1: I think the interesting thing about the climate justice story is the fact it is asking us to reframe the conversation away from counting carbon and carbon transition to questions of who would get impacted, who did get impacted, and would we use this opportunity to not only reduce carbon, actually address injustices, and and make sure when we do the transition that we are not making it worse off? You know, so I just want to point out this many people many organizations especially grassroots organizations across the world united states um uh, black and uh, all kind of minority organizations been working about on this in in other countries too so it is it is not a new topic this is not a new topic as in people haven't because of their work because of their work for all these years it has come to attention uh, of the global community which is what is actually the turning uh, different here and uh, for us we just, what WRI is not only the recognition of this, but making sure the transition that is going to happen from where we are to high carbon to low carbon also addresses this. And we want to make sure at the very least, the transition doesn't make these differences, make these uh, inequities that are in the world worse off, but hopefully make them better off. So the most interesting part of it is asking us to reframe the conversation. And this, as you can imagine, this is kind of the logical moment from people, if you think about it, people were thinking about about commitments and what to do. Now we're thinking about how to do it. Who should be making decisions decision about resources? Where should the resources go? Who should be on the table? Those as the impact from, we go from thinking about it to actually impacting naturally. Now we should be talking about, all right, do we have the right people around the table? Are the people getting impacted by it deciding that? And are their knowledge being used to be most efficiently use the re- little resources we have? to work on it. So it is, I think the reason we are excited about this is the reframing this is the right, we are very encouraged by it, but we also have to recognize that many other people are working on it and been working on it for decades and to learn from them and work together with them as we move forward with this.
0: The other story that seems to be very um, informed by the COVID crisis is, is this one about preventing pandemics? this intrigued me a lot, but can you unpack it a little bit? What is the story? Where does it come from, and, and what does it what does it tell us?
1: I think that's a really interesting story, Nicholas. I personally learned a lot developing the story with our team. I just, you know, this started my in, in Cobb, uh, uh Chip Barber of our team and Nigel Sizer, who used to work here and worked at Ring Alliance, actually said, "Ani, sit down. This is something you've got to know about." Um, and the story essentially about is how to prevent pandemics, and the, the exciting part of the story is a question of bringing two communities together. So basic, it turns out, uh, as, as it is in the story, 75% of infection diseases comes from pathogens that live normally in the, in the animal kingdom, in, uh, in animals. But when they transfer from animals to humans or human society, it causes 75% infectious disease. All of them don't become pandemic, but all the pandemics that you can think of recently, Zika, Ebola, the current one, come from this interaction called spillovers, you know, uh, method spillovers. So the solution of this, which people know about, is actually to bring the public health community, uh, who are absolutely working on it right now, bring the environmental community where the solution how to protect forests, how to protect wildlife, how to reduce interaction between forests and humans, also how to reduce wildlife trade, which is one of the issues that causes the spillovers. So as you can imagine, there's a whole community of people who work on protecting forests, reducing deforestation, uh, biodiversity, and there's a whole other community of public health experts. And the story really is about bringing these two communities together to think about long-term prevention of pandemics. So argument is, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Of course, all our energies are to deal, respond to the current pandemic. But can we also think about how to prevent this in the longer run? Because this is such a devastatingly expensive, both a human cost, economic cost. I don't want to go on. All of us listening to this know how terrible it has been for all of us.
0: A more familiar uh, subject is the uh, issue is the subject of uh, of one of the other stories, and that's coal. Um, but the way that this story is to watch actually looks at coal it, it's looking at what the process is of phasing it out. How do we replace it? You know, where does actually what do we do if we get rid of coal? And, how, and that obviously then you go back and then, then that actually informs how we get rid of it in the first place. The coal
1: story, I think we will hear a lot about coal story. And I, I, I think our objective here is to focus on getting the transition right. I've come across people who are very flippant about, oh, you know, the economics is too far in, uh, in its favor. So it's done. You know, let's move on. And coal is gone. That is not the case. You know, there are countries in the world, India, China, India, 71 percent of uh, energy right now comes from coal uh China 60 or some number 60 percent, I think so these are huge deals for the seven million people work on this area so it is absolutely true that we have to get coal out of our energy system it's the most polluting it makes most logical sense to start with this is not the only one we have to get but the focus of the story is this is the one where the economics is towards it there is a lot of global consensus of it let's get it right So that it's not disruptive it takes care of the people who are in in this industry it makes sure that that there's a transition doesn't produce blackouts that'll be a total political disaster and then no one else would want to do any other transition the story is really about this transition is about to happen it's already happening let's get it right so we show the world that we can manage these transitions successfully so the world both politically and, and really, the question really—it's not an economic case. The economics is in favor of coal uh, phase out, but to get the politically and the transition right—and this is what all the stories are about, Nicholas—is let's focus on the transition. Let's build the science of transition. This is where WRI is going to focus on, so that we get it right. We build confidence, so the broader society embraces transition. Says, you know, this is good. We can handle it. We know how to do this properly. So the next transition. On gasoline or natural gas, all these have to go out of the system by 2050. Uh, that is what the story is about. It is not about you know should we get out of coal. Um, that is that is we are way past that story.
0: Uh, similarly, electric vehicles. That's all about the, the the transition. What it actually means. You know, it's it's not just about. Making sure that electric cars work, but it's what's the infrastructure for it? How do we make them aspirational so that you know people actually want them instead of their other cars? And and then look at the supply chain behind them. There's there's a lot more involved. It's not just sort of making the case that of course electric cars are are, are good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I like that story. I'm I'm glad it's the last story. As you can as you know from uh, Nicholas from my own background, this is something I've been working on for many years. Um, you know one. Interesting thing, Nicholas, when I was at, at car, there's a lot of discussion electric cars. You know, there were a lot of announcements by this, uh, uh, and very positive ones, you know, um, country after country saying we're going to get out of internal combustion engine, ICE, as an acronym is, by 2035 or 2040, very encouraging. One after another, you know, companies, uh, car companies, um, talking about uh, their commitments to get out, all very positive. But if you add that up, the tone was, you know, this is done. You know, electric cars are really good these days. They are. They are soon going to be price competitive with uh, uh, internal combustion engines. That's true, too. And to be honest, we are actually surprised, all of us who work in this, how much the consumers have embraced this. People are worried. You know, consumers will think, oh, this is, we don't know what electric. Actually, there's a wide embrace. Uh, The demand for electric cars is growing exponentially. All very good. The story is about how can we use it. It is not done. Meaning this momentum, this market euphoria is great, but it's not enough to decarbonize carbon. So the question is, how can we use this momentum to do two things? One is we are scratching the surface of electric mobility. It's at 1% of our fleet. How do we get to 30% of our fleet? How do you get to 90% of our fleet? Fleet by means of all the vehicles there are in the world today. There are 1.2 billion cars in the world today we just barely got to one so we need to accelerate it that's the point you were making about infrastructure charging station getting it out there making sure countries have policies but it's also the story is also about that will be great but we also need to reduce the number of people who use cars you know there's exponential growth of cars one because of COVID, actually people are worried about traveling public transport Uh, I think that will go away But also, you know, countries are becoming many more people are coming to middle class in India, China, sub-Saharan Africa. Everyone wants cars. So we need to change our aspiration there, which is hard, I think, but also improve public transport, also make our cities more walkable, bikeable. So that is the story. And I I think it's a very exciting story uh, of using a momentum. It's another story, Nicholas, which I said in the beginning. It's, you know, let's look under the hood. What is the big picture here? And what are the details that we, we need to get right?
0: Annie, there's uh, one other story that uh, I'm kind of doing it slightly out of turn. So this is one that, in the presentation that accompanies this, is slightly earlier. But deforestation. Now, that's a pretty familiar thing for for anyone who's been interested in the environment for, you know, decades. I suppose. Why is 2022 such a, an important year to concentrate on questions of deforestation?
1: We, because simply because Nicholas, we think this is a year. There's the highest chance ever, more than ever, things to turn around. That is why. It is deforestation, as you said, it's something the world knows that we are not going the right path. And it's a discouraging story, actually, with all the attention deforestation has had over the years, because people have you know, concluded long time back that saving our tropical forests is very important for us, for biodiversity, for uh, the communities that are around that. But the science of climate science over the years has become so clear that without our forest, we will never, we won't be able to get to the forest play a very important role in making sure the carbon that we are spewing out in the atmosphere is, is sucked out by this reason, which is part of the balancing system of our ecosystem and taking that out. actually imbalances our system that might be, you know, irreversible. Hence, this recognition of importance of forests, not just biodiversity, not just uh, because of all the things we knew about, but to make our climate stable, it's not new. But actually, the clarity of it, I think, this COP, as I you, you think, well, importance of nature was the most important shift that took place in the uh, in this COP. One hundred forty-one countries committed to deforestation. Think about that. Nineteen point five billion dollars were committed to it by countries. I think much more would be committed by private capital. This is a shift. So importance of the story is that everyone knows about it we actually haven't made the progress we wanted you know last six years since the new york declaration on deforestation where many countries came together to they committed to have deforestation by 2020 and totally stop deforestation by 2030 the reality is from 2014 to 2021 41 percent increase of deforestation so you know it's it is something that is vexing something uh, that has been difficult for the world. And I say world, it's not just the countries where the forests are. It's all, the it's because the demand for commodities drives this, and the commodities are consumed from people all over the world. So the reason we chose this story, there is the best chance, because of political commitment, because of the recognition, because of mind shift, to get it right. And we wanted to bring to attention that the whole system, and we need to take a systems approach to get it right, and we have the best chance to do it this year.
0: Uh, finally, Arnie, Looking at all of these stories, some of them quite different, but you know, as as we said earlier, that the, there's maybe one or two themes connecting them all. Um, once we reach the end of 2022, what kind of things would make you think that the year was a success or a failure? Are there any particular indicators that you have in your mind, or, or events, or, or anything like that, that, that that will cause you to to evaluate it one way or another? Absolutely.
1: For me personally, this is a year. To systematically move from commitments to getting policies and finance in place so that we create credibility in the system, that we are s- systematically across the board, across every country, across every company, putting things in place. And I-, I want to repeat: policies and finance. You know, you won't build things in one year, but you can put policies in place, you can put finance in place to show that you're going in the right direction. Um, so, this is a year to see that is happening. And the second, as, I, as the first story, which is on net zero, is to show that these commitments are credible. And why is that important? Because, you know, for us, it's not a shift. This is not a just shift in one sector. It's a systemic shift of economy, how we run it, what we consume, or what we do, how we produce energy, how we drive cars. Systemic shifts, which is what is needed. And I think people more and more recognize it's not just let's get energy systems set up. it's many things we need to. Do. take time. And the science recognize that's why the goal is net zero by 2050, that it takes time to get there. we have to. But we can't just make long-term commitments. The way to get credible in the commitment is to take action, do things. and we need to see what people do this year, next year, and the year after. That's what the broader community say, because ultimately we need our politics meaning people we elect to run our governments, people we choose, our leaders and companies, we need to make sure that we are getting those people who will focus on more ambitious policies and more ambitious finances. Because as you know, the commitments the world has made so far doesn't add up to 1.5 degrees. So my, my own personal thinking is, right now we have to show that these policies, these climate policies make actually better society, meaning it's good for people, good for nature, Good for our children, they will bring cleaner air, cleaner jobs for people so that our broader community see that and actually push for more ambitious policies, more ambitious finances to get us to 50% by 2030, which is something we are focused on, but also to net zero by 2050 in a way that's good for people
0: and good for nature. And that was Ani Dasgupta, President and CEO of WRI, on the six big stories to watch for 2022. To find out more, go to our website, wri.org, where you'll be able to find a presentation by Ani on the stories, plenty more details, and of course, an absolute stack of the science, research, analysis and insight that informs these issues and much, much more of our work. That's it for this episode. I'm Nicholas Walton, and thanks for listening.